Welcome everyone to this webinar called Rethinking and Restarting, what should the return process look like post-pandemic? First, I'd like to start with some um, technical information. Uh, should you have a problem um, accessing the webinar, uh, do contact us at events at migrationpolicy.org or call at the number you can see on the screen. Uh, there is no voice Q&A, so if you do want to ask a question to one of the panelists, please use the Q&A chat function on the right of the screen throughout the webinar or write at, to um, events at migrationpolicy.org or you can also tweet at migrationpolicy or hashtag MPI discuss. The audio of today's webinar will also be available later on um, at our website migrationpolicy.org slash events. And you can also um, check out related resources uh, on MPI's research and analysis on COVID-19 and migration. Again, on our website, migrationpolicy.org slash coronavirus. Uh, I'm joined today by three excellent speakers, and I'm very pleased that they can uh, uh, join our conversation. Um, we have Ms. Laurence Hunsinger. She's the Senior Regional Thematic Specialist for Migrant Protection and Assistance, and she works at the International Organization for Migration. We have with us also Mr. Fabrice Blanchard. He's the Director of Immigration, Return, Reintegration and International Affairs at OFI, at the French Office of Immigration and Integration. And last but not least, we have uh, Mr. Michael Kegels, who's the Director of Operations at Fedazil in Belgium. Okay, so um, why have we decided to, to start this webinar series here at um, MPI Europe? Well, uh, politicians and, and governments often portray return as one of the pillars or the cornerstones of a well-functioning migration system. Having a return system that works um, allows us to maintain or create the migration systems that we hold dear or that we deem important or to create. Um, for example, it upholds the, the integrity of the protection regime in the sense that we can say, yes, if you're in need of international protection, we will provide it to you, but if you're not, we will return you. Or it also gives publics and governments the confidence to create labor migration channels, which um, allow us to uh, recruit and mobilize the workers that we need for our economy, but also works with the assumption that at the end of the agreement, the worker will return and new people will come. And yet the system that's deemed so important is uh, plagued with numerous problems already before the COVID crisis. Uh, there are numerous prob problems ranging from um, fraught relationships with third countries who refuse to admit citizens to um, uh, forced returns that are poorly executed and leave our communities distraught, or a very low uptake of voluntary return. And it's with this uh, in mind that we launched this MPI Europe series on return this summer, where we're hoping to, to take a closer look at the, some of the sore points of the return system, and where we are trying to gather a range of experts who have started to, sh um, to reflect on how they can address these issues or, or problems. So the next webinar will focus on reintegration and what are some of the factors that facilitate successful reintegration and what is successful reintegration. And the third webinar will look at the evidence base that is currently available. Also, this, also with this uh, policy theme, monitoring and evaluation has come very late to the table, but now we can see a renewed effort among partners who are really trying to document and analyze what works where. But today's webinar focuses on the first part of the return process and asks the question, how can we improve the uptake of voluntary return? And in particular, how can counseling help us in that respect? And I think we have gathered here today uh, three panelists who together with their teams have dared to ask the question, how can we improve this? They have shown creativity and innovation in um, how they do this in terms of who are the people they try to reach, um, what are the methods they use, what kind of packages do they offer, and um, yes, they experiment, and I think that's uh, a great basis to work with. 
So with, without further ado, I would like to turn to the panelists. Uh, we will first uh, turn to Ms. Laurence Hansinger, um, as she will give us a short overview of some of the key, the top three impacts of the COVID situation on the, on the return front. As I said, she's a senior regional migrant protection and assistance specialist for the International Organization for Migration. And there she analyzes regional thematic trends. She supports the cooperation among the European Commission and the member states. And she works on the assisted voluntary return and reintegration programs at the European Economic Area level. Before joining the IOM regional office in Brussels in 2017, she worked in Western Africa between 2008 and 2015. Laurence, the floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you very much and, and good morning to, to everyone. I think it's uh, indeed the, this webinar is timely and we are engaging the discussions um, in, um, in a very particular context and I've uh, been asked to briefly introduce the impact of COVID-19 pandemic and I'm starting of course with the impact on the global health and mobility uh, that is really of uh, unprecedented size and scope and let us remember as well that it continues to evolve uh, immensely and as well diversely. As of 22nd of June, a total of 221 countries and territories have issued more than 67,500 travel restrictions. So this gives us as well a frame. The containment policies and measures to restrict global human mobility aim to mitigate the spread of the virus and its consequences have affected various population categories and, of course, including migrants. In very diverse and complex ways, um, the COVID-19 mobility restrictions policies and measures that span from various travel restrictions, health requirements, measures to full border closures or nationwide and localized lockdowns have created new challenges for migrants. And very often they have as well exacerbated uh, existing vulnerabilities. So what we see now as a key impact is that the imposition of the border closures, travel restriction bans have left a significant number of migrants stranded. And this includes laborers, this includes of course uh, beneficiaries of ADR programs, but as well temporary uh, work permit holders, skilled workers as well, uh, of course, bridging visa holders and international students. Operationally, we see that the COVID-19 pandemic has posed and continues to pose challenges across uh, stakeholders working in the field of return and in the field of assisted voluntary return in particular. And it has initially affected our ability to support the migrants. We have uh, seen and experienced challenges to provide continuity of care for the uh, existing caseload um, to respond as well to the new cases that we're asking for our support. In many countries, we have seen disruption of face-to-face -face counseling, for instance. We saw as well challenges in outreach um, and of case identification to provide immediate protection for the vulnerable migrants. Um, we are continuously seeing rising needs for uh, assistance um, for stranded migrants, as well as for destitute migrants. And this comes through direct assistance requests or through requests for assisted voluntary return support. I would say that in a um, very, in a nutshell, in response, we have never, never suspended activities. We have rapidly adjusted our operational tools and practices. We have developed alternative tools. Um, and I think the period as well um, saw an increase and, and a very intense um, boost, uh, yeah, boost for coordination liaison dialogue as well among the, stake, the stakeholders. And I think this is recognized by all as a, as a must practice. Last, allow me just to underline that in the last month as well, I think uh, the last month have crucially underline the relevance of the concept of assisted voluntary return and reintegration in the sense that AVR is to support migrants unwilling or unable to remain in post transit countries and who wish to return home. And I think here we are at the core of the discussions we are having this morning. Thank you. Over to you. 
Thank you, Laurent. Um, I think that was really a, a good uh, setting of the scene in terms of some of the impact that we see in terms of, like you say, the support that, that's uh, for new cases, uh, the challenges faced in terms of identifying new uh, situations, but also I think the positive element that you've outlined in terms of, on the one hand, it underlining and underscoring the importance of coordination between the partners, but also the importance of assisted voluntary return, as you say. So thank you for that. We now uh, turn to uh, Mr. Fabrice Blanchard. As I said, he's the Director of Immigration, Return, Reintegration and International Affairs in the Office, where he's responsible for voluntary return and reintegration schemes, um, and where he's also held a, a range of, of um, positions, such as, for example, the Director of Human Resources or the head of the OFI delegation in Morocco. Um, Fabrice, we, we would love to hear a bit more about um, how Voluntary Return Council counseling is run France, and particularly um, if you could shed light on the position of the government to engage with this, but also um, who are the target groups that you're working with, who are the counselors who are delivering um, the information and provide the support to the potential return needs, um, but also maybe some of the challenges that you may have faced in the process uh, at Sofi. Thank you very much. Thank you, Anna, and good morning to everyone. <clears throat> I will try to answer all these questions. Um, uh, first, I want to say that uh, due to the COVID situation, we in France had to stop all our uh, return process, unfortunately, and we 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 just started again on last Monday, so uh, it's uh, very very new, but we stopped for um, two and a half months. Uh, what I want to say about counseling, return counseling in France, uh, OFI and France in general, have a long history uh, of implementing uh, voluntary return. Um, the first uh, program in France was set up in, uh, at the end of the 70s, uh, in 1976. Um, it was very, very specific aid for humanitarian aid, we call this. And from this time, of course, uh, all the programs evolved. And the return counseling too, of course, because uh, uh, from uh, the last 40 years, uh, the migration issues and the public, the target group, change, of course. Um, counseling is uh, widely recognized as a key, com as a key component of uh, the return process. So uh, it's a, uh, uh, it, it has a very critical role to play in uh, supporting uh, TCN in making informed decisions on their possibilities for return and uh, just to ensure safe and dignified return. Of course, the content of the counseling generally reflects the options available for the TCN at the precise moment when the counseling takes place. For instance, in France, at the beginning of the, um, the, uh, of the asylum procedure, um, it's mainly information about the, proce the procedure, the asylum procedure, and on, at the end, on the option to be assisted in returning to the country of origin if the application is rejected. But after a negative decision, counseling focuses on explaining the obligation to leave the territory. In French, we call this uh, OQTF, obligation à quitter le territoire français, and the consequences of failure to do so and the return assistance provided, but the, uh, provided sorry, by the French state. Uh, for OFI, uh, advice is uh, counseling is therefore essential, even if it is in fact complicated to measure its real effectiveness. Um, for instance, uh, it's difficult to, 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 to establish a direct relationship between counseling and the return decision. Because, uh, for instance, um, uh, we are in contact with migrants, but if the migrant um, choose to stay in France, we don't have, after the counseling, we don't have any, uh, any way to stay in touch after that decision. So it's difficult to, have, to measure the effectiveness of the counseling. Um, about the target groups, um, mainly two target groups, rejected asylum seekers and irregular migrants. 
for asylum seekers, uh, they are provided with information on the procedure, including assisted voluntary return throughout the process, as long as they, uh, they stay in uh, accommodation center for asylum seekers, uh, we, we call this CADA in French, uh, funded, by, uh, funded by the French government. So the NGOs running uh, this center employ social workers who accompany the asylum seekers on a daily basis. And in addition, our counselors, OFI counselors, regularly organize information sessions on voluntary return in uh, CADAS, uh, Centers for Asylum Seekers, which are particularly aimed at asylum seekers who have been rejected and who will consequently have to leave their accommodation shortly. But for asylum seekers who are not staying in CADAS, as well as for irregular migrants, it is more complicated to provide information and, and uh, counseling prior to return decision. It's difficult for the office counselor to, 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 to reach this target group. So counseling is therefore most often carried out by return counselors on the office premises after a request for a return interview met by the migrant, met by the migrant directly. Uh, specificity for the irregular migrant population uh, is found on the coast of northern France. Uh, many migrants who wish to reach the UK illegally are present in unauthorized camps located in Calais and Grand Sainte. And until 2018, uh, OFI employed special advisor known as Marauder. Uh, whose mission was to, to be on the ground to meet these migrants and provide them with all useful information and counseling on return. Uh, but for budgetary reasons, we have to stop this mission. But since 1st of January this year, within the framework, framework of a partnership with FEDASIL, maybe uh, Michael will talk about later on, uh, we, uh, OFI has been uh, able to resume resume this uh, mission in these camps in uh, Calais and uh, Grand Sainte. And uh, last but not least, uh, we open, um, based on the Belgian model, um, uh, op centers for preparing to return. Uh, we call this CEPAR. And the main, objective, the main objective of these centers is to offer social support and accommodation, uh, of course, but um, uh, it's an alternative to detention center and enables people, uh, persons who are uh, considering voluntary return to be accommodated and to benefit from support and counseling from OFI return counselors in order to best prepare for their return. About our counselors, uh, we have in France uh, around 60 counselors uh, throughout the country. They are trained when they take up their position and are supported uh, uh, on a daily basis by their superiors. Uh, we, uh, my direction, um, we organize as required uh, information points. And of course, training sessions are also provided for these uh, uh, counselors. About, uh, I, I will finish, uh, uh, I will end with challenges and difficulties for, uh, for our counselors. Main, uh, not many, but few, uh, few are very, very, uh, very difficult. First, we have to establish trust with migrants. It's difficult, of course, because um, uh, for the migrant, it's not easy to consider return, uh, often perceived as a failure for them, because uh, uh, to return, to go back to their country after their, 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 their migration, uh, uh, it's not easy. And secondly, we are a, a state agency under the umbrella of the Ministry of Interior, so, so sometimes our counselors or OFI in general can be seen as bad cops because uh, under the umbrella of Ministry of Interior. So we have to build this trust and it's not easy uh, every day. Uh, about counseling too, another difficulty is rumors and misinformation. Uh, uh, we, have, uh, we have to deconstruct sometimes this uh, misinformation. 
the community or the, the social network sometimes uh, are not very keen with uh, the, 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 the voluntary return programs, specifically the, the French one, I don't know why, but it's like this. So it's not easy for the, the counselors. And of course, the third one is the cultural barrier. Uh, it's, it's difficult in the same day to manage to, to have an interview with a migrant coming from Africa uh, or a migrant coming from Middle East, from Afghanistan. It's very, it's very difficult. It's not the same uh, approach. So it, it could be challenging. That's it for me. Thank you, Fabrice. That was really interesting to hear. Um, I will remember the fact that um, it's been an essential part of, of your return system for a very long time. And even then, you do recognize that as the migrant groups and profiles change, that you also need to adapt to it. Um, it was interesting to hear the, the different kind of, uh, yeah, how you go about doing this, but also some of the challenges that you've identified in terms of what you said at the beginning, also sometimes being able to reach those who are not within the OFI reception centers, staying in touch with those that you may have counseled but then have decided not to take up return, but also the other three elements that you've discussed was really interesting, this whole idea of how can we establish trust, whether this when this is seen uh, as a failure or when we are maybe associated with a particular kind of ministry, uh, but also some of the cultural barriers you mentioned and, and the rumors and, and disinformation. Um, I'd now like to turn to, to Michael Cahill. Um, as I said before, uh, Michael Cahill is the Director of Operations at Fedasil. Uh, where he's responsible for the management of the Belgian reception system, but also volunteer return policy and the operational part of resettlement and relocation programs. He has founded the European Platform for Reception Agencies, also known as EPRA, but also sponsored the creation of the Common Support Initiative, CSI, which is a platform on voluntary return. And I presume, Michael, you'll tell something more maybe about Erin as well. Michael, uh, we would love to hear uh, yeah, how uh, also we've listened now. I think uh, Fabrice has outlined some of the really the, the key ingredients of what voluntary return counseling consists of. But it would also be interesting now to look at maybe some of the specificities that are uh, characterizing the approach in Belgium, such as the, the range of partners you work with uh, and maybe the target groups. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Hannah. Thank you also, uh, uh, Fabrice, for making this a little bit uh, the bridge towards uh, uh, the presentation I wanted uh, to make or the elements I wanted to put on the table. Um, I think to understand the voluntary return program of, uh, of Belgium, it is also uh, perhaps good that I, that I explain a little bit, um, a little bit on Fedazil. Fedazil is the organization, as Hannah uh, said, who is responsible for reception, voluntary return, resettlement, relocation. And is in, in essence, uh, the DNA of the, the organization is, is that we really are a multi-stakeholder, multi-governance agency. We work together with, as you know, Belgium is a federal state, but we work together with all levels of the, of the Belgian state. Uh, we work together with local municipalities who organize also reception for us. We work together with the cities where we have return offices. We work together with the provinces. We work together with the Flemish, with the Walloon region. Uh, where we also work together with local uh, with labor market agencies, with the education um, agencies, the vocational training agencies, housing departments, etc. Uh, NGOs um, also are, uh, are a part of, uh, of the historical uh, stakeholders of, uh, of Federsen. Uh, they organize also reception for us, but for example, uh, Caritas International is a, is a very big um, partner for us in the, uh, in the AVR program. Uh, and in the framework of reception, but also in the framework of, um, of other programs, we work, for example, also closely together with um, with organizations responsible for uh, homeless people. So, in essence, um, historically, but also, uh, as I said, really in our DNA, Cedazil uh, is an organization that has been working the last years and is intensifying to work closely together with an, uh, a large range of uh, institutional, non-institutional, um, civil society uh, stakeholders in Belgium. Um, and we see this, um, uh, this really as an opportunity also to develop uh, real policy and to be able also uh, to put uh, policies that we are trying to develop 
um, here within the agency, uh, really on the ground and to really um, to, to, to gain impact also on the ground. And um, if I translate that uh, towards, for example, the, uh, the AVR program, and I, and I, I relate also to what Fabrice said uh, uh, concerning trust, which is, which is indeed a, a very important element. Uh, we strongly believe that working together with these, um, with the diaspora organizations, NGOs, um, and, and, and other organizations which have really a link with the target group really helps us also to, uh, to gain trust. But perhaps let's get back to, um, to, uh, to AVR. Um, I think the AVR program in Belgium has, has, has built up in, in, um, uh, in, in several ways. There are different uh, building blocks. Uh, the, the first one is um, what we call the, the, the rather traditional uh, building blocks where um, we have developed a whole program uh, for uh, the asylum seekers who are in our reception network, what we call it's a return path. It's an incremental path where from the beginning and from the moment that people enter uh, in the initial reception center, people are getting the first information uh, on AVR. And as people evolve towards their uh, asylum procedure, uh, more and more information is being given uh, on AVR uh, linked with the status of the, their procedure which ends uh, in the end with, uh, with a transfer to what we call open return centers where um, people are free to move to, uh, where people are free to, to live in. They can enter, they can leave whenever they want. But it's clear that the duration of their stay there in those open return centers is limited to a maximum of 30 days. And the objective there is to work together um, on their uh, return uh, project um, that they can uh, that they can elaborate there, but they can elaborate also within the, uh, the traditional reception center. So the whole return part is also uh, integrated in, uh, in Belgian reception law. Um, so this is, this is an obligation for all uh, partners, uh, for all social workers um, um, uh, to work uh, in, in, this, in this line. This is, this is the first step. Um, I think besides that, um, we have uh, try to develop a program also for under, under, undocumented uh, immigrants, ex-assignment seekers. Uh, and um, by doing that, we created what we call five return desks in the five major cities uh, in Belgium, which are open offices where people can enter, where they can have conversations uh, with social workers uh, off that zone, where they can have appointments, and where we try, those are accessible uh, by a free phone call, uh, where we try to do quick processing, uh, of the demands, um, where we have a number of communication tools that support that, uh, websites, social media, smartphone applications, etc., and which helps us to keep to keep in contact, uh, to to remain in contact uh, with those ex-asylum seekers that we guided already within our reception system, but perhaps that didn't went to the open return centers, but they absconded, uh, they, uh, they 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 tried to search for for another destiny. But they're well aware that if in the end they want to talk about return, those return desks are there for them. Uh, they're open and they can talk with us in complete confidence. Uh, no data is being transmitted to, uh, to immigration offices or to other organizations. Um, for that type of group, we started also what we call the Reach Out uh, Project, where uh, Fabrice also referred to, which is basically a, a, a project which we, which we copied uh, from, uh, from the French experience in, in Calais with, uh, with uh, Les Maraudeurs. Um, and what we, uh, what we copied also here in Brussels and where we uh, uh, closely work together with, uh, with OFI to try to reach uh, what we call stranded migrants here um, in Belgium, uh, uh, a group of, of, of immigrants which, uh, which causes from time to time um, some, uh, some, some problems and the highway parkings in the parks in Brussels and where we try to reach also uh, these group with a, with a specific uh, program. Besides that, we have also special programs and networks uh, for, uh, for target groups. We have programs for minors, for victims of trafficking, for families with children. We have a specific medical program, which is called AMAR, where, we, um, where indeed we, we, we look at uh, what, what would be the total cost of medical care in Belgium for, let's say, uh, a reference period of six months. And based on that information, um, we, we, we try to develop um, uh, a specific uh, 
offer a specific uh, reintegration project for people with uh, with high medical needs. So uh, so in the end, that also these people can apply for uh, for AVR. I think these are the, the the main lines of the project. But in the in the back office, there have been uh, made huge investments in the professionalizations of the of the program. We uh, uh, we developed a, a specific training module that we're now also uh, exporting between brackets uh, to other countries. Uh, we develop communication tools. We develop programs on role models, innovative projects. We'll come to that a little bit later. Reporting, etc. But the basis is um, the development of a relation of trust between the agency, the social worker, let's say the intermediate, um, and the migrants. Uh, we, we strictly uh, focus on, uh, on confidentiality, uh, apologies. Um, so this means that we don't pass uh, undemanded information towards the uh, immigration office. Um, there is a liberty to stop the return at any time. Uh, in the airport, the migrant can say, stop, I don't want to return anymore without specific consequences. And we try to develop those kind of relations of trust by working together with people close to the migrants. Right? Depending on the situation, we work together with, uh, with NGOs, homeless organizations, our own staff, um, diaspora organizations, um, etc. Um, I also said that we are a multi-stakeholder uh, organization. So this means on the national level, uh, we work together with NGO return partners, uh, cities, diaspora, homeless, uh, but also on an international level, uh, we try to develop um, uh, a whole lot of, of, of close collaborations with, uh, with important partners of ours. Uh, indeed, IOM is historically uh, a very important partner with us, and, and it's 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 uh, it's another uh, it's enormous uh, gratifying uh, to see, and we're, we're very we're very glad with that to see that IOM evolves together with uh, with Fedazil, um, and in the new ways that Fedazil is trying to uh, to explore. For example, now the new uh, pilots we are doing together with uh, with Frontex, where uh, where IOM uh, is engaged also in in pilots in uh, post arrival return. Um, uh, and we work together, for example, also closer with Caritas, but also with Frontex, Erin, uh, EMN, DJ Home, and, um, and other organizations. Um, in that whole of government approach, we try also to develop links with development aid, with legal migration and return. We have their uh, programs uh, together with, uh, with Morocco. We try to link with integration also. We have a project, it's called Your Global Future, where we do entrepreneurship training. Um, as well as for returnees, for people who want to return, as for people who need uh, to integrate, um, they follow the same uh, the same program. Um, so we try to 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 uh, to, uh, to close down there the barriers uh, and open up um, between different uh, different um, uh, competencies to get a more holistic approach and a more holistic uh, program uh, towards uh, voluntary um, return. Um, I don't know how much time I still have, Hannah, or should I uh, should I end here? Yeah, maybe that would be that. I mean, okay, we have all of the that. points for the discussion, but thanks very much. I mean, I really appreciate it. Also, the overview of the different kinds of target groups. I think that was really interesting, both for the, the the asylum seekers, the, the undocumented migrants, but also, as you said, uh, what both you and, and France have done is really also to seek to reach out and identify and work with um, stranded migrants, uh, which is such an important element and has been proven a headache for numerous um, politicians and, and governments. So that, and also, um, I saw it already being picked up actually in the chat box, uh, this interest in what both you and Fabrice have said about how do we build that relationship of trust so that people are willing to start that conversation with us um, and have suggested also in the chat that this kind of link with NGOs, uh, diaspora organizations could be really important. So uh, it was interesting to hear um, how Fedazil, through its um, engagement and its relationships and its agreements with different partners, is able to, to make a, a really useful step in that direction, as you said, uh, by, by make me being seen as, as a trusted and confidentiality being such an important element, but also the fact that you said that at any moment in time, uh, a migrant may decide um, yeah, to, to stop the process. And I think you've given um, 
uh, a, a beautiful platform to, to Laurence, uh, uh, emphasizing the positive relationship you have had with IOM and um, making, I think, a beautiful compliment in terms of how that relationship and that kind of interest in innovating your practices and your approaches uh, has been really important one. So um, I'll now um, introduce Laurence. Oh, sorry, I've already introduced you, Laurence, so you can speak. I'll go back to your piece. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe just to compliment on both um, presenters on the key features of, uh, of, uh, of counseling. I think one element is, um, is on you know, the availability of information. Um, basically, we need to have to the ground, updated, relevant um, information to pass on. And we need to insist on the conditions. Um, of the provision of assistance, we need to explain, I think, very much the processes, the return, as well as the reintegration process. I think this is a key feature. Um, it needs as well, for instance, to be underlined that there is no possibility to remain in transit countries. We need as well to underline, you know, all what could feature um, upon arrival. The, the counseling process is not only um, at one moment in Calais or in Brussels or anywhere else. It's a, it's a full process and migrants and the counselors need to have um, a follow-up interaction. It should be a living, basically, a living uh, discussion. So we need to have tools to enable migrants to reach out again to their migrants because this is one of the elements of, of trust. Um, the neutrality that was already mentioned is a key element, uh, but it means as well, you know, if we're looking at neutral counseling, it means that the counselors are not seen as um, here present to intensify the what you said at the, as an introduction, the uptake, uh, you know, on the return. This is not the goal of many counseling sessions. The counseling sessions should really be to provide uh, the broadest understanding on both the situation, the conditions, the processes. Counseling as well, and we see it very much with Fedazil when we work very closely with them, is as well an incredible uh, opportunity for counselors to detect as well vulnerabilities and to refer uh, the migrants for additional direct support. You know, it doesn't mean that this will prevent a voluntary return process, but it means that we do individual case assessments, we assess collectively, holistically, uh, we refer to the, uh, to, the, um, to the relevant organizations, we provide assistance, and if deemed feasible, then indeed there is a follow-up with, uh, with the return. Uh, there are so many interesting elements that were, were raised. I think the availability of information material is a key feature for, for um, successful uh, counseling. You need to have info material prior to, to counseling, um, and you need to have them you know, both printed but as well through the networks, through the diaspora organizations. I would like as well to in insist on, it's an element of building trust, as uh, Mr. Blanchard was mentioning, but it's as well a way to counteract misinformation, um, to have in the teams, in the counseling teams, native counselors is of great asset. Um, and we, and we that's, uh, that's a bit of a luxury that we have, uh, we, we, we have within our teams a lot of native counselors. And when we don't have them, and when we see that in some countries it's of uh, quite um, high relevance, we organize what we call country visits, and we invite our colleagues from various uh, countries of origin countries to come to visit the centers, to visit the municipalities, to discuss with all the, um, the institutional stakeholders, and to pass on a different range of information. Would like as well, you know, for for um, to underline how important as well it is to have um, sufficient interpreters um, and cultural mediators within the process, and to have as well. Uh, but I know it's um, it's more and more of um, looked after now. Uh, the, the the conditions of the of the counselling matters. So and and especially if we are looking at counselling to be provided in um, in reception centres. Um, we need to ensure that the space um, is appropriate, that migrants can engage into discussions, that migrants can freely, uh, individually raise questions, as well as raise concerns. And I think 
you know, this contributes as well to the dialogue, to the trust building. Um, I think everyone is realizing that this is not an easy and a one quick time process. It's a process. And I think what we are struggling a bit now, all, all of us, is because of the of the the, the, the interest of the policymakers um, on, on, on return discussions and on return issues, I think everyone is now more and more increasingly pushed towards um, having processes that do not allow necessarily the required time for proper counseling to take place and for migrants to have the time to make uh, informed decisions on whether or not they would opt for, for voluntary return. I think I stop here and I'm looking forward for responding questions. Thank you. Thank you, Laurence, very much for uh, highlighting some of the key characteristics that you have observed from IOM's side as being quite crucial when uh, doing return counselling. Uh, as you said, uh, what do you inform on? Uh, do you make sure that they, the person really understands what is, what is awaiting him or her uh, in the return country? But also, like you were saying, uh, the fact that this is not a one-off conversation, that this is something that requires, over time, numerous conversations and that we really need to think through how we convey that information and make sure that it's well understood. And the other side, I think that's such an important one. So thank you very much for that. We've, uh, I would like to thank the three panelists so far for their contributions. We've now uh, arrived at the Q&A uh, session. Um, so as I said before, there, there's no Q&A. So if you do have questions, please use the chat function. Um, I've already seen there's a couple of questions that have been raised. Um, I would already like to, to assign two, uh, one to, to Fabrice and then later to Michael. Uh, Fabrice, there's also a question about this pre-departure return counseling, and in particular, a concern for those who are vulnerable, who maybe have been victims of trafficking. So if you could um, elaborate if there are any particular uh, provisions for these kind of people. Um, and then to Michael, uh, there's also a question more about some of the, the broader uh, opportunities you see um, at the European level in terms of the next steps and how a return and an improved return system could help us support some of the rethinking that's maybe on the table or in the minds of, of policymakers. So, but if I'll first turn to Fabrice, please. Okay, thanks, Anna. Um, about considering for vulnerable groups, um, Victims of uh, human trafficking are, are, are not a target group for us. So we, we had a, um, an agreement uh, with IOM, France, uh, a project called CARE uh, for women victim of uh, human trafficking. Uh, so IOM referred to OFI, uh, vulnerable uh, women. Uh, so OFI is in charge of organizing uh, the return process and IOM is um, in charge of accompan uh, accompanying uh, these women in France and in the country of origin. But uh, we don't have specific uh, uh, target group like this. Uh, it's very specific program. I think uh, this program ended uh, at the beginning of this year. Um, but it was very, very uh, interesting. We had few, um, few uh, return, uh, effective return, but it was very interesting for us because um, we are not um, specialists uh, for vulnerable people. Uh, our counselors uh, are not really trained to detect uh, that kind of vulnerability. So it was very, uh, very interesting for, for us to have that uh, uh, agreement with uh, IOM. Thank you for giving that ex uh, extra information, Fabrice, and uh, about also the, the project that you've set up together with IOM. Um, Michael, do you want to come in now? Um, uh, specific on the question on, uh, on, on how do you see the future? Um, well, that's, a, that's, a, that's quite a challenging uh, question, Hannah. Um, um, what, we, what, what we see is that um, but that, that's, that's nothing new for only for Belgium, I think, in whole Europe, is that you see a diminishing public support for 
for migration. There's an economic pressure, um, the reception for, for certain target goods that are between brackets real asylum seeker is diminishing. If you look at Belgium, for example, almost 40% of our inflow in our reception network are Dublin cases, um, where, um, where public support is, is, as I said, diminishing. There is the problem with those stranded migrants and other low return numbers. Uh, there are a lot of restrictive measures that have been taken now, the closure of the borders, the online registration, where the question is how they will evolve in the future. Um, and one of the, 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 the big challenges is, I think, to, 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 uh, to, get that, um, to, uh, to get that public support again and to, re, uh, to, re, to, to, to emphasize on, uh, on regaining that. And, um, high level, there are some 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 evolutions that that we see where we think that uh, as as an AVR department or an organization that also organizes AVR, we should we should really try to to link into. First of all, is is how how to live together with the virus. But that's that's more the operational part. So how to reopen? How to do counseling with 1.5 meter distance? How to reopen our return offices, etc. Uh, but on the other hand, what we saw also during during COVID crisis is that um, there are new target groups um, coming in the focus of the AVR uh, program besides the traditional target groups, say the asylum seekers, the ex-asylum seekers. As I mentioned already, Dublin cases. How will we um, um, position ourselves within uh, the AVR network or the AVR program, which is a traditionally uh, uh, ex-EU uh, program, how we will position ourselves towards, for example, Dublin, how we will position ourselves towards migrant workers. What we saw between in the COVID uh, crisis is that a number of returnees we had were specifically migrant workers uh, who were stranded uh, in Belgium because they could, uh, they could, the economy uh, had, had its shutdown, um, and which could be a new target group. Um, we have stranded migrants, but we talked already about uh, the, the that first project we're doing together with uh, with Goofy, it's called Reach Out. Um, we we are piloting with opening the AVR program also for recognized asylum seekers. Uh, as I mentioned, we have a program for uh, entrepreneurship uh, that is open for people who want to return, uh, but also for recognized asylum seekers. Um, can we build on that uh, even more? And can we? Uh, um, can we can we can we create their bigger programs for, for example, returns to to, to Syria at a, at a certain point where we give um, important uh, reintegration uh, support, where we give training to people uh, for 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 a longer period of time, three to five months, for example. Uh, but it's also open, for example, for people who are recognized and want to return uh, home. Uh, but also uh, want to to make use of that uh, that reintegration support. I can imagine that we can build a case for that. Um, we think that um, we should intensify uh, collaboration with with our stakeholders on a national level, but uh, especially on EU level with Frontex, with Eric, with uh, with IOM, uh, with development agencies. Um, and what we what we think is that that one of the uh, one of the essences is to to come to a more comprehensive approach eh, that that we we try to to, uh, to to shut down or to close the barriers between agencies between fields of expertise uh, and try to work in a, in a far more comprehensive approach where you can align and you can integrate uh, different elements uh, development aid as a top up approach eh, where we can where we can re give reintegration support uh, to, to people who want to return to certain countries and where development aid can be considered as, a, as, a top, as an on top of uh, approach um, uh, where we try to, to integrate return in the framework of circular migration, for example, uh, where we have temporary working permits uh, and where the, 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 the AVR program is also being used in the framework of these kinds uh, of programs. I think that's what you, you mentioned also in your introduction, Hannah, um, is that, uh, that this, these are also potential elements of, of, of credibility of the AVR program. If, if we just go also outside uh, those, uh, those borders. And, uh, and last, uh, we, we think that reporting and, and, and all and, and collaboration and alignment becomes, will, will become more and more important. Uh, uh, the value for money approach. Uh, 
from our side, for example, use a front, front X funds in the, in the framework of operational activities. But also, uh, at a certain point, we, we, we have to decide what's, what's worth the cost of the return. Yeah, the, the first one, again, between brackets, it's very cheap because that's the migrant besides you who speaks your language and is willing to return. But how much do we want to invest to reach out to, to those final um, migrants uh, and to try to inform them and, and what cost is, 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 is that worth? Um, and we should we should uh, professionalize even more. We we developed uh, together with Erin and the Commission what we call the RIA tool. Uh, it's a, it's a follow-up tool for returned uh, migrants, which gives us uh, enormous amount of data on uh, on their well-being, uh, on their intention to stay, on their intention to 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 re-migrate. Uh, uh, the FAR tool for booking uh, by Frontex, the informatization of the whole return counseling process uh, that we're working on now. Uh, the creation of a quality and certification framework, uh, a harmonization mm -hmm. of work between service providers. So there's a lot of work there uh, there to be done, I think. Thanks very much. I mean, that was a very comprehensive uh, answer. I mean, yeah, I think it's really interesting to hear how uh, through better embedding this kind of return dimension to particular uh, migration systems can really uh, yeah, create, create, create opportunities to, like you said, in a range of opportunities, whether it's come in relation to asylum and the Dublin case and the problems we faced there for, for many years, or um, um, Europe always and member states always being a bit hesitant when it comes to labour migration channels uh, and the return element, I think, is, is an important one, so that's really important. If I can now uh, turn to Laurence, um, Laurence, there's, there's two questions maybe that, that I would like to, to ask you. On the one hand, there's a question about um, readmissions, you know, when um, travel restrictions will be taken away to a certain extent, when borders will start reopening again. Um, there's a question what, what we envisage in terms of readmission from third countries. Um, how easy or difficult will that be? What kind of challenges may we face, and there's also a question about what to do with those who, um, who, are, who are stateless or at risk of statelessness, um, how do we engage with those when it, uh, when it comes to return? That might be a very difficult question, so I'll leave that up to you to decide. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> Indeed. Okay. You know, as I mentioned before, um, the, the assisted voluntary return process never stopped. It was temporarily suspended due to uh, operational inability to. Um, the issue of, of readmission um, remains the same. You know, um, we have uh, we have been able in the last uh, in April to through the ADR to facilitate the voluntary returns of 180 98 migrants, and this in April and in May, I think it's 179, maybe I'm missing a bit the, the figures, but so a bit less than 200, 200 returns have been facilitated because genuinely we are having migrants that really want to return. Um, and I think we need to put into our discussions, again, it, it, it context matters. If indeed we are only looking at uh, assisted voluntary returns as a key target, having rejected asylum seekers as key target groups, we should have, you know, very um, specific discussions on counselling, on uh, cooperation with member states. But if you look at, as I was mentioning in my very brief intro, at ADR as really this support concept to all migrants and ADR to be uh, implemented within the, the, the respect of the individuals, in cooperation with the, the countries of origin, um, having the full consent of the migrants in the respect of, of data protection and data sharing and so on and so forth, then you know you build a different um, narrative and you build a different process. So what we have observed as international organization did is in some instances, we have member states saying, coming and knocking at our door saying, well, we are having issues with certain countries because we can't get the travel documentation when they do either their voluntary, you know, when they do their own voluntary returns. When it comes to us asking um, 
some, uh, some diplomatic representations, we might not have the same response because there is a very long um, standing um, cooperation because there are our member states as well. Uh, IOM is not only uh, working with and for its European member states, it works, it, we are a global organization, so we are bridging the European states, the African states, the Asian states, they are all our members. And we have, I think, the same um, obligation to respond to the needs, as well as we have obligations to respond to the, to the needs of the migrants. So I think it, it, it comes back you know, to um, two practices, um, and readmission is a right. For, for, for individuals, and the admission basically is only an administrative process. Uh, it's one part of the return process. It's nothing more than that. Readmission tells you the steps, tells you the conditions of the returns, and readmission is always agreed between two states. So we are not, as I owe, um, part of any um, um, signing any agreements or part of the discussions, those are, you know, really state-level discussions. What we are facilitating, indeed, is the facilitation of the obtention of travel documents and trying as well to advocate as much as possible and as much as we can to have the most comprehensive um, policies, procedures, and support programs. And I think next webinar you will further explore reintegration, but this is the paramount element. You know, the support that migrants that are returning through voluntary programs get when they are returned home is very important. Um, I've been quite long. Um, statelessness, it's more HDR. Okay, thank you. So we always, you know, we, we work uh, with, uh, with many, uh, with all our sister agencies and we refer um, as soon as we have uh, this out of our core mandate. Okay. Thank you, Lorenzo, and thank you, Adlining, for those kind of key principles that you refer to and how that they foster or facilitate a kind of a different narrative, as you said, a different kind of approach, uh, and in turn could be a good basis or a better basis in terms of the negotiations between the destination countries and the countries of origin and, and how that, how voluntary return could be and is a, a very good vehicle in that sense. So um, we're, we're running towards the end of the webinar, uh, but Michael, if I can just ask you for a short uh, reply to, there's a question, if you could elaborate a bit further on um, the AVR that you've mentioned in relation to uh, persons with high medical needs. So they asked if you could elaborate a little bit further what that entails, thank you. Sorry. Um, it's a it's a specific program for uh, for uh, migrants with high specific <clears throat> high medical needs. We have we have what we call the basic reintegration program, where we provide also uh, specific extra reintegration support for certain medical needs. But in general, the program there runs up to maximum 2,500 euros. Uh, but we also from time to time confronted with uh, migrants who have uh, kidney dialysis problems, cancer treatments. Um, and other um, programs who, who really want to return, uh, but where there is the issue of follow-up on medical um, uh, on medical care within the within the country of origin, um, and there we have a, a special program for a rather small number of migrants, to say 20, 30 a year, where we um, where our, our baseline is not uh, the reintegration program as such, the 2,500 euro max. But where the baseline is, what the cost would be if we would should if we should give that treatment in Belgium, uh, and where we can go to 10, 15, 20,000 uh, in certain cases, five, six thousand euros in certain cases, well specific cases, well build up cases um, for certain migrants. So that's a, that's that's a program, but it's 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 a niche. It's a it's a it's a very small part of the of the AVR program, but it's it's an answer to um, very concrete uh, issues and problems also within, for example, our, our reception network, where these people also need uh, a lot of guidance, a lot of uh, medical care, uh, take take a lot of 
energy also from the start. Uh, people want to return, and this is uh, this is an opportunity for uh, for for a small number of cases uh, to uh, to return. Thank you, Michael. Uh, I think it's interesting because there's, I've noticed that in both in the chat and the Q&A, there are several questions being asked about the specific groups. So there is a, a lot of interest or concern about uh, are we tailoring sufficiently the AVR programs to those uh, target groups? And I think uh, uh, the three of you have very much emphasized that it's really key important and given examples. So thanks very much for that. Um, I would like to thank uh, the three panelists for their contribution today and for also responding to the questions. Uh, we've already come to the, the end of the webinar. Um, and so, as I said before, um, later today, the webinar, the audio will be available on our website, migrationpolicy.org slash events. Um, and uh, you can also see on the slide, if you want to see um, related resources, you can also find it on our website. Um, reporters can also contact Michelle Mittelstadt at mmittelstadt at migrationpolicy.org. I would also thank, like to thank all the participants for joining today and for those of you who have shared questions with us and apologies. I know we haven't um, responded to all questions, uh, but do reach out to us if you want to contact us specifically. I wish you all a very nice day and thank you very much. Bye.